from just beyond your imagination comes Omnibot, the fully programmable robot with a memory. Omnibot, he walks, he talks. Hi, cutie. Amaze your friends. Wow. Intense. Refreshments, Earth-type snacks. Impress your teacher. Impress your girlfriend. Omnibot, there's romance. Take my heart. He's the lean, mean, pop and breakin' music machine. Yes, it's Omnibot, the fully programmable robot, available now in your neighborhood. You from Tommy. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Thanks to Jordan Howard for once again reading our intro to the podcast. We put out a call to other people to potentially do their own read for the podcast. And we have a couple of people that are creating ones. We're looking forward to hearing them. But for this week, thanks again to Jordan Howard. I'm Chris Boyer. I am your host of the Touchpoint podcast, along with my co-host, Reed Smith. Reed is a digital marketing specialist, uh, strategist, and a social media enthusiast and expert. He works with hospitals and health systems and also health-related companies across the country. You can find out a lot more about him on his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. And you can also find him on all the popular social channels. His handle on Twitter and others is at Reed Smith. Reed, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, man. And that is uh, Chris Boyer, who you can uh, find out more about at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on all the social channels. And like myself, Chris spends his minutes and hours and days and weeks working with hospitals and healthcare systems around the country, developing strategy and evaluating the effectiveness of those strategies. This episode of the Touchpoint Podcast is sponsored by Loyal. Loyal's AI-driven platform provides health systems with the tools needed to amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. For more information, please visit LoyalHealth.com. So here we are, back again, going to talk a little bit about robots. The rise of the robots. Actually, we're going to talk specifically about chatbots in healthcare. You know, we, we use, I guess, a fair amount of chatbots as, as we currently uh, exi- sit here. We, we, and we've talked about them to some extent, talking things about like Google Home and Alexa and some of the voice first stuff. You can go back and check out those episodes. But h- how is this topic different than just the voice first topic? Well, the chatbots are designed specifically to accomplish certain things. True, they do work. They have voice recognition, voice patterns, but they're designed to actually lead you through a guided set of automation through a particular task or a particular effort that you want to accomplish. And so we'll go, we'll get deeper into uh, some of those that are in healthcare. But if you think about it, simple tasks that we do day to day, like for example, you call up or maybe you even text like a bank or, um, you know, trying to pay a bill or something like that. And it takes you through a guided set of steps to get to a certain point to do accomplish something. That's more of like what chatbot technology is. And so that's a little bit different than just like saying, hey, turn on the lights. It's guiding it down a particular path. Gotcha. So is this the same or somewhat different than just, uh, you know, a lot of websites out there, once you kind of log into your account, so to speak, uh, there is a chat functionality. Is that, that's a little different though, right? I mean, that's just chatting. Often those are manned by people on the other end. 
right? right. Chatbots are designed to be more automated and, and actually are manned by computers and computer programs on the back end. So we get a little bit more specific about that. Why don't we do like we always do when we talk about topics that may be a little bit questionable? Why don't we turn to our ever prominent resource online, Wikipedia, and read their definition because I found their definition to be quite fun to read. All right. Do you want, do you want to give it a shot? Uh, go ahead. Hit it. Okay, here we go. A chatbot, which is also known as a talkbot, a chatterbot, a bot, an IM bot, an interactive agent, or an artificial conversational entity, is a computer program which conducts a conversation via auditory or textual methods. Such programs are often designed to convincingly simulate how a human would behave as a conversational partner, thereby passing the Turing test. Do you know what the Turing test is, Reed? No, what is that? So the Turing test is something that was actually created by a gentleman by obviously the name of Turing. I guess his name was um, Alan Turing. And he okay. basically, he used this test to determine the artificial intelligence of computers and to determine if computers are acting much as humans would. We'll link to what the Turing test is. But basically, this is uh, the Turing test is sort of the benchmark that most people use for chatbots and artificial intelligence to determine if it's actually acting as, a, I guess, an intelligent entity, so to speak. Interesting. When we look at that definition, some of the things are it's like really conducting a conversation is a big part of this. So it requires you to initiate and ask questions Mm-hmm. And then it, through some sort of intelligence, is able to kind of this or that or A or B, you know, kind of walk you through this piece, right? And it's designed for a specific task in mind. It's hard to create a chat bot that could just act like a human without any kind of guidance behind it. But really, chat bots are, are focused on tasks or they're trying to address a particular business problem. Probably the most elementary version of this, or the maybe not even elementary is maybe not the right word, but the oldest version of this would be phone automation, mm-hmm. right? So you call a business, uh, you press a certain button for a certain language, and then you press another button based on what it is that you're wanting to then do. Uh, or needing help with, or whatever, right? So it's a phone tree to some degree. So it's intelligent to the sense that uh, it knows what to prompt you about based on what your previous answer was. These have been around for a number of years. In fact, one of the very first times they used the word chatterbot, which is what now chatbot has been condensed to, was back in 1994. So that's been around for quite a while. Wow. Yeah. Google Assistant... Siri, Alexa, all of those things are also chatbot-like. They can be used in that way. And, and a lot of organizations actually now have built chatbot-like functionality within their platforms themselves. And we'll, we'll get into some of those. Uh, another term that often is used when you talk about chatbots is conversational UI, conversational user interface. Okay. Which is, it means basically the same thing. You know, we're starting to see definitions, conversations, technologies, uh, the way we think and use things kind of all converge into, you know, one medium. Uh, You know, voice first doesn't really stand on its own versus, you know, chat bots and things like that. You know, everything's kind of migrating back to this one piece, you know, which is, you know, I guess we went from more of a tactile. We were typing in things to get answers you know, now we're using our voice to have more of these conversations with computers that seem more lifelike. 
I think that's the key there. It's more lifelike. What we're trying to do is we're trying to build the interface between us humans and the digital computer world in a way that's more human-like so that we could actually get more value out of these tools. So uh, this is still, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, even though we're talking about 1994, is relatively new, at least as far as technology goes. So we've got a we have a link to an article uh, from Deloitte that we'll post, but a couple of stats from this article, which I think kind of drive home that point, and make, you know, kind of have that inf- that information in mind, is in 2016 talking about the conversational user interface. Startups in that space raised over two hundred million dollars, and that sounds like a lot, but that's probably not really that much money. In the again, if you start looking at startups in general, how much money startups have raised, mm-hmm. maybe over that same time period. But in in Q two of twenty sixteen, more money was raised than the entire previous year. So I think even though comparing dollars to dollars, it may not be as big as some other startup, I guess spaces. Uh, there still seems to be quite a bit of a, of a hockey stick, you know, kind of growth curve there. Mm-hmm. Probably because now there is hardware and the adoption is already there. We're starting to see people adopt all these voice-enabled, starting with smartphones, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and now with Alexa and Google Home and things like that. Well, it's not just voice. It's also text. Remember that. Right. But like, if you think about messaging platforms, there's been a a great rise in messaging platforms. Facebook, Google, Microsoft. In 2016, they all uh, opened their platforms to chatbot developers because they see there is potential in the chatbot industry. Not only is the technology there, but now there's ways that you can interact with a wide group of people, Facebook, Google, etc. So now chatbots are going to become rapidly more and more mainstream, and we probably won't even notice that they're there. Again, driving home the point that uh, we're not having to create an entire new way that people adopt this technology. We're simply infusing this technology into existing platforms and places people spend time. Some of the sectors that they're looking at when you think about it is like financial services, which have been using it for a while. I remember doing it on my bank, calling into my bank and having voice automated to get me to the next prompts to open up my accounts, that sort of thing, to get information. Retail, we see that a lot in retail, both online, as you mentioned. Some retail companies are using uh, automated chatbots now on their website. But also, if you call them, Amazon does that. The oil industry is another one that uses them. Mm. It's focusing on automating internal workflows and also B2B interactions in many cases. You know, another one probably that a lot of people have had uh, engagement or interaction with is, is like the airline industry. You're not calling in and somebody is immediately answering the phone. You know, you're kind of walking through uh, hospitality or hotel, you know, travel tourism kind of stuff. Anytime you're booking reservations or appointments and things like that, uh, there's usually at least a front end uh, to make sure that you get to the right people. Uh, You know, I I guess to reduce that friction, make it easier for people. Well, gone are those days of you calling up a number and you getting a voice tree where you start to hit just zero 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 to try to get to a real person. <laughs> I think that more of these uh, these automated assistants, these either voice or text automated assistants online or through the phone, are becoming more sophisticated and actually useful. But I remember those old days where you're just trying to hit zero 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 to try to get through to person. Do you still do that? Yeah, I mean it's always the default. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> just to see if it'll work. You know, if you, if you right. do it a whole bunch of times and then there's a brief pause, then it's like transferring to the next event, you know, then you've won. But, you know, it doesn't always work, though. Doesn't always work. You know, I've even seen some of these things in the sense that, uh, you know, even small business owners. So you've got, you have things like, uh, you know, the lady that cuts my hair. You know, when I get done getting my hair cut, you know, I go ahead and schedule the next appointment for a month or six weeks out or whatever. And when I do, I immediately get a text message of, you know, when it is and all those types of things. And I can correspond via that text thread if I need to change anything. It's even being baked into some of these smaller, you know, business applications uh, and kind of e-commerce solutions that are maybe not free, but even close to free for, for a lot of use cases. But the point here, though, is stressing the word chat it's really designed to become much more meaningful with your interactions. So it's not just saying, you know, respond one if you want to change your appointment or press three if you want to speak in Spanish or whatever. Right. You know, it's, it's really conversational. So it's trying to pick up on the language itself. Maybe we should talk about some of the building blocks of what a chatbot solution would look like and kind of break open the, the different components of that so people can kind of understand it. This sure. is where we get a little geeky, though, right? So be warned. We're getting we're getting a little <laughs> bit nerdy here. That's right. So the first piece is your front-end interface, which connects to a variety of those channels. And a lot of times chatbots are used like on websites, maybe email, like you mentioned, text messaging, mm-hmm. SMS, or even messaging applications, uh, Facebook Messenger, Google, uh, or even Slack. I use Slack yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. Where you actually, it's like the way that you interface with that, whatever that chatbot is. And again, primarily voice and text driven. Slack's a really good example because, you know, although you are talking to other people, probably within your own organization, uh, that's kind of the point of the tool. There's a Slack bot that's kind of in your feed there that you can ask questions of and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next piece, uh, which uh, was referenced earlier, NLP or nat- natural language processing. So this is kind of that machine learning interface that's responsible for deciphering what it is that you said and then what it needs to do next. So it's trying to pick up exactly what you're asking and contextualize that and make sure that it's returning the the results that you're looking for. The next piece around it, too, is actually managing the entire dialogue, right? So the sequential dialogue of what you say in order so that it becomes Mm. more of a conversational logic, keeping track of that context. For example, if someone asks, well, you know, who is our biggest customer this month, for example, and, and gets an answer, and then they follow up with a, a follow-up question, how, do, how much do they purchase? They know that you're referring to they being that previous subject, so to speak. Uh, I remember playing around a lot with that when Google introduced it about two years ago, and you were able to do Google searches, and you were saying, like, who's the current president? And then Google would tell you it. Then you would ask, how old is he? And it would give you the age of that person that you're asking about. So that's driving that context of the language, so to speak. Threaded conversation, basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And not looking at everything as a, a siloed or an individual question answer. And finally, I, is obviously how, you know, how the back end. So how is the bot interfacing with other enterprise applications? If you ask and you know, suggest a bunch of information and you know, those types of things, you know, how does it then update your account on the back end? You know, whatever that means. It could be your address or phone number or those types of things. So talk a lot about interoperability over, over the course of, well, many episodes. But 
you know, how does this tie in um, and not just live within this, you know, chat interface? That's serving that purpose, right? Ultimately achieving whatever that goal is. And it's used, and we brought up a couple of examples that are non-healthcare industry. Maybe we could talk about some ways that, you know, high level that these are being used in, in healthcare to kind of contextualize this a little bit with our audience. Let's talk about for patients first, right? Okay. So here's just some general high-level examples, and then we'll drill down to some specific companies that we know, including one of our sponsors that uses chatbot technology. Yep. Uh, and our interview later is going to actually talk about a, uh, another use case that Steve Leapforth from HealthGrades is doing in, in this space. But um, So let's say for patients, for example, bots can be available around the clock to kind of offer access to health can, information, health support. Uh, nurse triage lines, medication advice, tapping into a health library, even doing prescription refills, or even getting your, your lab test results, that sort of thing. I think that's interesting uh, because, you know, what, what does that allow for, right? Multitasking, you know, servicing more, more folks uh, over a shorter period of time and just provides that convenience. Last week's interview with Stephanie Ayers from Mayo Clinic, that first aid kit is an example of a chatbot-like tool to access sort of that health information, the first aid health information. Another one is like, uh, this is more pointed, it's it's when patients are discharged, for example, they may have post-discharge instructions or including, you know, follow-up calls to remind them about medication, maybe ask some questions. We're seeing some organizations that are now doing that to a, to, to a very specific care pathway, so to speak. They know when you discharge, you have to follow this particular procedure. So this chatbot is now starting to be used in that in that capacity. Here's as an aside, I guess. Here's where I think some of the the pro, you know, as we've kind of moved into this space, we're used to, you know, what we see is uh, kind of the way we engage with Google or search. We used to search for topics. Now we type, you know, really long questions in there potentially, and we're returned, you know, a bunch of results that then we kind of sort through. You know, from a chat perspective. You know, I think we're still kind of in the mode of like we were early in search of, you know, more of the topical piece versus the question piece or the conversational piece. While some of this stuff is really good, it's going to take, I think, some education around the adoption of it. Is it not? I don't know. I mean, in terms of the adoption of it being the user or the adoption of it on the back end? Well, probably both. But I'm thinking about from a user standpoint. I mean, for them really to spend time contextually understanding that that's what they can do with it. Well, if done right, it would even it would seem seamless to the user. I would guess, right, that they wouldn't even know that they're not interacting with a human. You know, in healthcare, yeah, typically people would start to interface with their doctors or they want to talk to real life nurses, and this is trying to be a way to kind of supplant that and and mm-hmm. actually optimize that 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 area. And that's a really good you know case. Could you imagine now where a bot could hear like a patient what their symptoms are and almost triage them to give them medical advice. We've talked about this before, right? That right. you have like these online learning systems where you can actually drive it to a particular advice. I think that the users, patients and, and you know, caregivers might really want to hear that from a human voice rather than a electronic voice, so to speak. And two, I, I still think, you know, as, as we kind of think through this and look through this, you've got this... Uh, scenario where you know you go to a website and and it says how can i help you you know you're gonna say billing 
you know, versus I've got this specific question about my bill, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just the idea that there is the ability to ask a complex, maybe even multi-part question. And that's part of the sophistication of the tools because you're right. I think a lot of people, they may not know that that technology is there and that can actually handle that request. I mean, the more sophisticated you get, you can get into now, if you start to integrate artificial intelligence and machine learning, and you could start to not only track voice patterns and speech patterns and text patterns, and you could start to do image recognition. You could do a lot of stuff now in the healthcare space where you can actually get instant personalized responses to some critical health-related queries. And we're going to hear about one of those in the, uh, in the interview. Let's talk a little bit about how doctors and maybe medical staff can start can use chatbots to access healthcare information. And we mentioned this, uh, I guess, on the patient side of the equation, but maybe you know uh, the post discharge uh, scenario. So the follow up medical care. How can hospitals deliver better care? And even even possibly you know impacting the readmission rate, which we know is is very important. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin, I guess. You know, we're help- the patient needs the information. The physician is able to now reach people in a more timely fashion. Maybe that's not fair, but reach uh, as many people as they need to uh, in, in a quick and timely way versus having to make a phone call at a time. It's almost like accessing the big medical libraries and the resources that are out there and being able to do that in an intelligent way and having an easy interface. Uh, before, you know, the doctor would go into the back room after you would tell them what's wrong with them and they'd probably go Google it, try to get the, you know, try right. to, get to diagnose your symptoms. But now they can use chatbots to get that information pretty quickly, pretty real time. Imagine even having like an electronic medical record that you can actually interface with that has that's attached to a health library and keep track of all that information. Yeah, I mean, really, if you just think about any way you get information. So even if you're in the OR suite and you've got the pre you know, the surgical checklist uh, and some of those types of things, and so. You know, even even information that is the same information that's used over and over again could impact safety, could impact turnaround time, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And then imagine even getting more sophisticated where now you have a patient interacting with a chatbot and the physician interacting with that chatbot at the same time, or maybe not at the same time, but along the same care pathway. And being able to inform and guide that chatbot to provide better instructions. Or a doctor prescribing a chatbot. How about that? How long before that happens? That kind of blew my mind a little bit there, Reed. If people build these based off of uh, peer-reviewed information, for example, and you take things like diet or exercise or what have you, you know, I could see where some physicians that there's a prescribed step-by-step, I guess, roadmap before you can have bariatric surgery, for example. You know, we need you to do these things and lose this amount of weight. And, you know, anyway, there's different things that have to be done, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where something like this could potentially play a role, both from, uh, you know, an adherence standpoint and making sure that, you know, the information they're getting is correct. We talk about kind of general applications. Do you think it might be good for us to pivot into some specific examples of companies we know that are doing stuff? 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the one I'll start with, uh, Loyal Health, which is one of our uh, sponsors and has been since the very beginning, is a great example. And, and, and you know, want to be real clear that they are a sponsor of ours, but I think it's a good use case and something that is active in the space that people could go check out. Loyal, one of their, uh, I guess, products or services that they have is called Guide, and it's an AI-powered uh, chat bot. You can go to their website and, and check out a little bit more about that. You can also go to uh, Piedmont, uh, Piedmont in Atlanta. Uh, you can go to their uh, hospital website, and Guide is uh, on several of the site on, on several of the pages of the site. So, I think you can go to Locations, for example, is one of those. It's a great AI-powered chat in the sense that over time it it continues to learn. So the more questions it gets asked you know, the smarter it gets. So I think that's interesting, number one. Secondly, it has the ability to hand you off to a live person when it's appropriate. Because of PHI or HIPAA or those types of things, when you get into some billing questions, you may need to ultimately talk to to a live person. If you're just simply looking for the closest pediatrician to where you currently live, you know, it can handle all of that. Uh, in an automated fashion, there's a really cool back end, uh, which I think is important and, and allows to you know tie into CRM and all those other types of technologies. And so ultimately right now, you know it's it's on the marketing side of the equation or the experience, consumer experience side of the equation, maps directions, uh, you know you could tie in appointment setting, billing, you know those types of things. Ultimately, I think you'll be able to you know take it down a path of, I just had the surgery. Can I eat this food? And what's cool about that is that as a general public, you can actually access that through their website and start to interact with chatbots. And that's really much service-oriented. Many of the examples we gave were clinical in nature. And in this particular case, this is more business-oriented, helping guide people to making choices, selecting a doctor, finding a location, that sort of thing. So it's a really cool, really good example of that. Just briefly, I'll touch a little bit about the interview that we're going to have in a a few minutes here with Steve from HealthGrades, where they're working with health systems about managing chronic care conditions. So could you imagine developing a chatbot that extends over a long period of time, let's say managing diabetes or managing any particular type of kind of chronic care condition where they map out how does that chatbot engage and interact with that patient through that care continuum. That's It's almost hard for me to imagine what the logic is on the back end for that, but it's basically giving that sort of the daily reminder, that daily engagement, that daily kind of connectivity with that patient to keep them compliant, to keep them focused on their care, to keep them healthy ultimately, and manage that through an electronic digital chat bot. Another good example is one called Florence. So this is a chat bot that acts like a nurse. Does you take your medicine, gives you instructions if you forgot to take a pill, monitors your health. It could even help you potentially find you know, specialists uh, in your area and book appointments and, and those mm-hmm. types of things. Just simple things like medication reminders, I think, is uh, is an interesting one. And you can participate or kind of use this one like through Facebook Messenger. Sure. Well, I noticed, too, that they actually named it like a human's name, right? Florence, as in Florence Nightingale, I assume. Right. And again, that's to bring that personalization and that engagement level to that Mm -hmm. experience so that people are not thrown back by the fact that it is a chat bot, you know, that it's actually a virtual nurse. 
Another good example is uh, URMD or URA.MD, which mm-hmm. definitely sounds like a technical application, but you know, still, that's what they decided to do. But it's supposed to replace the assistant of a general practitioner, asks about symptoms, and puts enough questions approved by you know health professionals to identify a condition problematically, and then can help guide that care pathway, setting up appointments, referring you to particular physicians, getting you, you know, based on what you have to the right specialist. Um, and I can see that application being used in oncology, uh, cancer treatment. Uh, another one, uh, safe drug bot. Uh, again, we'll, we'll link to all these, but this is an interesting one. It's a messaging app, helps doctors uh, take notice of possible side effects of drugs during breastfeeding. It helps to keep mothers safe. So very specific use case for those that have recently uh, had a newborn and are breastfeeding. This is this is one of those that, you know, a very common question is, can I take, you know, fill in the blank, you know, while I'm breastfeeding? You know, a specific use case that seems a little bit more approachable because you're you're trying to accomplish and automate a smaller task, not like. This is not replacing the entire doctor experience. This is just drug interactions during a particular case of breastfeeding for mothers. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. The last one that we'll talk about is pretty interesting, and this one we might want to talk a little bit more about, Reed, SimSensei, which is, yes. although it's, it's very experimental, it uses voice and facial recognition to mimic a therapist interacting with the patient on a therapeutic level. So a chatbot that is a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's stop there and think about that. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I, I mean, I get it. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's an interesting, you know, avenue to go down. I don't know that I can have serious conversations with a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what's happening here. I'm oversimplifying it a little bit, or probably a lot, actually. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know. Then again. You know, if the results uh, prove to be good, then, I mean, whatever, I guess, right? Well, let's talk about that. You said interacting or having a therapy uh, cartoon as a therapist. Is it just the interface, then, that is your concern there? What if it What if it was a computer screen that had a lifelike human face on it? Would you be able to use that as a therapeutic? See, that's, therapeutic the, that's the problem. It's lifelike. No. Okay. Now, again, that's probably some of my bias, you know, generationally as time goes, you know, will my kids be more comfortable with that? Probably. They're more interested in, uh, or more used to, or okay with communicating to people they don't really know. You take like video gaming, for example, right? So people communicate online. You may or may not know these people, but you're okay, you know, having these conversations and it feels real and, you know, that kind of thing. 
so I think the opportunity to participate in that way just in your daily life has not existed my entire life. Therefore, it's going to be harder for me to allow a computer to control some of that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm saying that very well, but I mean, it's just going to be a harder to convince me, I guess. Well, and I think that what you're addressing is, you know, is healthcare has always been a very personal thing, yet you and I are digital people in this space, and we believe that digital can be effectively applied in a very people-to-people type of industry. It's worked in other industries. Think about retail. It used to be you bought from the local grocery store, right, down the street, or you bought from the local person in your in your town. And now we're buying from Amazon. This is being recorded after Thanksgiving weekend. And Black Friday wasn't as big of a deal this year. Whereas today, it's all about, we're recording on Monday, it's Cyber Monday, which is a thing now. So, and we, and Reed, let's apply it back to healthcare. You keep talking about the fact that you want your care experience to be as easy and convenient as possible. How much easier and convenient is it to have that, you know, like a, a, a chatbot guide you through your care than trying to schedule an appointment with a doctor and you know getting in in three weeks and then, you know, not sure if the doctor really understands your symptoms, that sort of thing. Whereas you can have a chatbot that's always on 24 by 7. I mean, I think it's great. And I think obviously for simple questions... Like uh, the one of them earlier that we were talking about, that you know you can check and see if it's okay if you take a potential medication if you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Okay, super simple. I, I, it's not simple, but it's super straightforward and probably trustworthy enough. And I think that's part of this is the trust factor. Because if I think about booking a hotel room, right now I will use the Hilton app all day, every day versus even going online, going on to their website, certainly before I call anybody. Like I can just open up the Hilton app. I can find, you know, boom, 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 couple of clicks, rooms booked. I've got confirmation of it right there in the app. I can even check in through the app, download the digital key and never stop at the front desk, right? The, The trust factor is a lot less there. Right. We're not talking about my health. I'm not talking about, you know, potential side effects. I'm talking about a hotel room. The idea that like, okay, if my wife is breastfeeding our child and it was like, man, my allergies are bad. I wonder if I can take a Zyrtec and I can hit a chat bot and it goes sure or, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever it says, you're like, okay, I'm probably willing to risk that one. Allergy medicine, breastfeeding, you know, that kind of deal. It's like, I mean, what's this really... At the end of the day, how bad could it possibly be? That is probably a lot lower on that spectrum of potential side effects or negative effects than you know something with uh, more of a chronic illness, right? Or therapy, yeah. which is really what we what we're what you know the sim sensei does. And so I, I guess there's a fine line that you kind of walk. And I and I guess this is a natural point for us to kind of pivot over to talk about some of the challenges that using chatbots in healthcare are presenting. So, I mean, that bi- that biggest challenge for me is is trust. Number one, am I getting enough? And number two, is it correct? But also, what happens to all this information? So we're back to the uh, the security and the PHI problem that, that is perplexing a lot of us and every technical solution that we have in this space. 
we found a really cool article. And it was on chatbotslife.com. And one of the things that he mentions is the way people text is different. That different people have their own way of typing a message or even saying their message. Short sentences versus long sentences. You kind of talked about this before. Saying billing as opposed to I want to pay my bill. Yeah, I need to set up installments, you know, or whatever. Right, exactly. He says, these are things that you could discuss as you're trying to map out a good chatbot solution. When is it appropriate for a bot to reply? When is it appropriate for a human to intervene? How long should the bot wait to understand that human? You know, if they are typing Mm. very slow or if they type in fragmented sentences, how many chats should a bot club together to understand a human response so if they you know are we going to have like five different chat messages and try to piece that together and get some intelligence or do they respond after the first one you've got some where it's like okay historically speaking how many of these do we need to take into context for this particular conversation right but then you've also got based on the way people text some people text like two three words at a time and that's like their that's their like message got a question send about billing send and then heaven forbid they throw an emoji in there how do you decipher that what does that mean and what happens when they use like four in a row (laughs) whatever you know anyway anyway just an interesting thing obviously their language parts of the globe even same parts of the globe but talk differently in slang how do you decipher all that oh or it may be even misspellings or maybe there's multiple spellings for the same thing or whatever, you know. So you always get the people that, uh, for whatever reason, don't know the right version of there to use. They are versus there versus the place. Anyway, can you put all that together? And this kind of bleeds in even to the next one, which is the limitations of natural language processing. But how do you how do you take all of that into account and decipher? Okay, well, this is what they're really meaning to say. Should we focus on the masses? Do we make bots for a certain segment? I can see how that gets politicized very quickly. Um, do you base these off of uh, personas that you have, uh, which is kind of, I guess, that same that same thing? Um, are we expecting too much? When you think about the limitations of NLP in this space, while it's greatly advancing year over year, there's still a lot of questions that you know come from it. You know, how much time will it take to evolve to the level of what we're talking about? Down in Texas, I'm sure that it's a different uh, language system than it is, you know, in upstate Massachusetts. So we'll have to figure that out. Since this is always growing, how are we going to continually update that and expand that? Uh, you know, that sounds like something that has to be updated quite frequently. Honestly, I'm not sure. You know how a chatbot becomes smart enough for for everybody. Let's let's quickly hit some of the other points here. Humans are random, and they may change subjects in the middle of the the questions that they're yeah. asking. Yeah, you know they may suddenly go yeah. over to this other point. How does the computer handle that? And along those lines, uh, probably is what attributes to that very thing is you know a limited attention span. Hey, we got sidetracked. You know, there's an email that came in over here, and now like. I've left this chat bot for 16 minutes. So now what? Is the chat bot constantly going, are you gone? Are you there? Are you still there? You know? Right. Yeah, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. It takes a lot of computing power to do that. We'll link to this article too. I think it's really kind of interesting because it talks about some of the challenges. You know, one of the things that, that I'm just kind of struck with is that chat bots 
while they're here and they're trying to be disguised as very human way to interact with uh, digital, at what point do we start to, I don't know, rebel? I don't know if rebel is the right word, but, you know, kind of like start to say, wait, enough's enough. We don't want computers to do everything for us. We, we want this to be more of a human experience. And I get it that you want to use computers, but when are we going to start hitting 0000 in the chatbot world to try to get connected to that human again? Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to InfluenceHealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Here we are at touch point, touch counterpoint. Or, yeah, I think that's what what we've landed on. And so uh, Chris and I are going to argue for a bit. So based on the fact that we're talking about robots today, and more specifically chatbots, I guess... Actually, we didn't really talk about robots at all, but except for in the very beginning. <laughs> so chatbot functionality. Can everything be automated into a chatbot function? True or false? I will argue the side of true. Uh, you can automate every conversation out there, particularly when we're talking about these use cases of healthcare. It, it, it's going to take a while. We're going to have to cut it up you know, one piece at a time. But virtually everything that's happened in healthcare follows a sequential segmentation that you can automate into a conversation digitally through a chatbot. Every conversation. No. Well, I mean, I guess I have to take the no side, right? So, um, (laughs) yeah, I don't think you can. I I think it's always going to be how close can we get to 80%, you know, kind of a thing. So, I mean, I think we can automate up to a point. And then you've got to talk to somebody from a contextual standpoint, or you're never going to get anything accomplished. I say never get anything. You're never, there's some things you're not going to get accomplished unless you talk to an actual person that you can explain something to. Well, you know, if you think about it, who would you be talking to? You'd be talking to a healthcare professional. Uh, you know, if you wanted to talk to that human, it could be a nurse, could be a PA, could be a physician directly. But all of those people, how did they learn how to, to interact or how to diagnose care? Well, they learned it by going to school and studying books and, and real life examples. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is rapidly evolving that we're going to see all of that learning that humans go through 
computers can do the same thing. So it's natural that by extension, they're going to be as smart as. And so you don't really need to interact with humans anymore. The future of healthcare is robots, man. I mean, that sounds good. I mean, heck, that'd certainly uh, help our nursing shortage, right? We just have a bunch mm-hmm. of robots running around the floors. It just it just can't. That doesn't work. Uh, because I think individuals, actual live people, have to make... Uh, you know, they're going to have to make a decision, at, you know, or a call at some point. Like the individual providing the information to the robot sometimes doesn't know everything that needs to be known at that point. People have to, you know, ask questions back and they're going to have to, you know, make a call at some point uh, based on what they're hearing. Maybe it's the tone of voice. Maybe it's something they heard in their background, et cetera. And I just, I don't think we can get there uh, contextually with robots. I don't know. I mean, it depends on the interface. If you have a really good high definition camera pointing at the patient and a really good audio microphone and maybe hook them up to an EKG, you're going to capture all of those body language and all of the audio clues and everything that you need to know from a facial recognition perspective computer could start picking that up so it i mean that's going to obviously make make it so much easier for computers to replace humans and as i describe it the future i'm painting sounds pretty creepy doesn't it so everybody's gonna have an ekg at their house now (laughs) is that like a new uh that's like in the next version of the apple watch like it has (laughs) an ekg built in which actually that probably will happen at some point maybe not with an apple watch but I think technology over time just becomes more integrated and cheaper and whatever. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. So I just, I still think you've got, and I think we want to have a human, you know, in there at some point. Otherwise it's like, you know, you're losing context. You're losing something, you know, what happens when uh, some of this stuff freezes up? Somebody has to write the program at some point, right? I guess so, yeah. Then individuals have to be involved at some line to have a QA built in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But maybe nurses and and doctors become sort of the new digital programmers of the chatbot functionality in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what they got into their their education to do, isn't it? Yeah, to be programmers. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly right. Obviously, I'm getting a little bit... uh, The more I argue this side of it, the more I realize that there are gaps in my logic around this. But that's what happens when I argue an extreme side. And now we're converging towards where the middle is. Clearly, as we always come to the middle, we realize that there is some obviously great use cases for all of this technology. And things can be automated. Chatbot functionality can be utilized in a care setting. It's just how it's going to be utilized really depends on the convenience and the willingness of not only the health system to use it and the doctors and the nurses, but also, and more, most importantly, the, the patients and the care seekers to actually use this. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today I am pleased to be talking to someone that 
I guess I say I've, I've, Steve, I have known you for a very long time in this industry, and this isn't the first time we've been in an interview together. That is my old friend, Steve Liebforth. Steve, thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, we've had some uh, interesting back and forth over the years and uh, been on opposite sides of the coin many, many times. <laughs> many times. In fact, there's an old video of us on YouTube somewhere. We were interviewing each other like 10 years ago. That was the fun days of uh, social media, the early days when we were uh, trying to figure out, I think it was it likes of our pages instead of uh, fans or visitors. And it's evolved a little bit. Do you want to give everybody like a brief introduction to you and your a little bit of your background and what you're doing right now? Currently, I'm the vice president of Solution consulting at HealthGrades and uh, have been at HealthGrades for about two years. Before that, I uh, have been on the vendor side of healthcare for uh, about seven years total. I spent uh, almost 10 years at two different health systems in the Chicagoland area and really grew up in both the technology and, and marketing side of things. Like I said, early days of Facebook and websites and was having a conversation earlier this week about you know how my job back then was to convince marketers that the uh, web might stick around and might be a big deal. So uh, we've all <laughs> as an industry come a long way in the last 10 years. Steve, tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that you're doing now. I know that you're pretty well-versed in a lot of things uh, digital, but what, what have you been focusing on lately? Yeah, I think at HealthGrades, obviously, you know, we have a, a large focus on healthgrades.com. We have CRM. We have our quality awards. But personally, where I've spent the bulk of our time is around our chatbot technology called HealthGrades Care Chats. Ours is really focused on the, the clinical side and having meaningful automated conversations with patients really over a year uh, or more and really keeping them engaged. Well, let's talk a little bit about chatbots because, you know, Reed and I have been generally talking about them before this, but tell us a little bit about some of the applications that you're, you're starting to see are relevant to healthcare and hospitals. We've all had good and bad experiences as consumers with some type of chatbot, you know, where you come to a website and, and you need to ask a question. And I think, you know, for me, that, that was kind of the first iteration of what I would call a chatbot, right? You know, come in and ask a specific question. You have good scenarios and bad scenarios, but I think the evolution is more on the back end side. So, you know, building some sophisticated taxonomies to support a chatbot and really having more advanced artificial intelligence, which again is, I think, another term that you can kind of debate on what that truly means. But, you know, having mm -hmm. a, a true representation where it feels as close to human as possible for someone visiting your site. You know, I know Matt Gov's a friend of the show and, you know, I've, I've heard him and many others that I've talked to say, you know, I think the future here is you come to a website and it's not a website anymore, but it's more of a chatbot type function. And what can I do to help you and, you know, guiding you through. So, yeah, I don't know that we're necessarily anywhere close to that, but I'm starting to see some small incremental steps towards that. Working with hospitals and health systems in this space, what are some of the, the applications of chatbots that you see? Yeah, so, so some of the work that we're doing, like I said, is, is more on the clinical side. And, you know, we're having uh, chatbots uh, that are working with our customers that are focused around a couple of different pieces. So typically, it's either around us very specific chronic disease, things like diabetes, asthma, hypertension, and having an engaged conversation, you know, one to two times per week with those individuals. Or it's around lifestyle and wellness, keeping people healthy and, you know, really focusing on just, you know, keeping individuals active, eating healthy, exercising setting health goals. We've seen some really strong numbers too, and I think that's the most interesting part, both around patient engagement and as well as improvements on the clinical side. So, you know, we've done focus groups after the fact and, um, you know, so just some of the numbers is, you know, 70% said the conversations via the chatbot were helpful, which is a nice metric, but more importantly, I think the one that has more power is 80% said they were doing better and more healthy at the end of the conversation compared to the beginning. 
we, we've all dealt with illnesses and chronic diseases and things like that. Part of it is working through a chronic disease is just as much mental many times as physical. So having a chatbot that can be fun and engaging and keep you thinking about it and keep it top of mind and maybe exercise, you know, two extra times a month or maybe eat healthy a couple extra times. So again, that's the concept and those are the results that we're starting to see. In my mind, I don't really go to chatbots being fun. It still seems so very clinical and technical. How are chatbots evolving to become more human-like? We've all seen the, the Fitbit scenario, right? And I think that's more of kind of what a lot of people's minds think of when they think of chatbots. You know, okay, a chatbot's just going to ask me a question and it's going to gather data and then I'm moving on, right? And we all know what happens with Fitbit. Everybody gets them for Christmas, uses them in January and February, and then 80 to 90% of the people stop using them after a couple of months. With the chatbots that, that we've leveraged with our clients, you know, we, we've tried to do a couple things. Number one, we've built a personality into it because the way that people interact today, right, is it's text message. It's, hey, are you up? It's emojis, things like that. So, you know, we've built a little bit of a personality instead of saying, hey, it's time for your, you know, check up again, click this link. It's eight o'clock at night. Hey, you still up? You want to have a quick conversation? The other piece that I think is interesting is the clinicians that we've hired to write these scripts. And as I mentioned earlier, they're designed to be a year-long conversation about a chronic disease. We've actually built in and we try to have story arcs to the conversation because if all we did was ask the same questions about, a, let's say, a care plan post-discharge, again, people are going to lose interest much like they're doing with the Fitbit. So it's got to be interesting. It's got to have a personality. The metrics that we've seen in terms of people continuing to use it throughout the year, at least once or twice a week, are, are extremely high. So it's got to be fun, right? It can't just be, hey, I'm answering the same questions again, because, you know, that that dynamic just doesn't work with with consumers and patients. Can you share an example of like one of those story arcs, what you're talking about? It's it's hard for me to imagine what you're what you mean. Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of a couple of different factors. Let's just kind of build from the bottom, right? We've got certain health goals, maybe you're tracking your weight and things like that. And and one of the other pieces about that is we, you know, we have a connection to 200 plus devices. So we're pulling in the Fitbit data, we're pulling in, you know, a Bluetooth Mm. scale, glucose meters, things like that. So that, that's kind of the first piece of it. The second piece is then, you know, kind of managing a chronic disease. Let's say that layers on top of it. And, you know, again, we're sending reminders and making sure that you're focused on it. But again, it's, you know, hey, here's what we're going to do for the next 60 days. We're going to have a very specific focus on weight loss for 60 days. And so, you know, again, we're building kind of these different segments within the conversation so they know what to expect. And it's, you know, okay, we've reached a certain goal at 60 days, 90 days, and now we're moving on to the next thing or we're going to readapt this so that it's not just, you know, again, that same information over and over again. Within the context of the chatbot itself, some health systems that we've worked with have even branded it. So we've got one uh, one health system that has named their chatbot Kate. So again, you know, trying to put that human element behind it and having a personality. So others want to keep it more branded with the health system. So when a health system approaches you and indicates they want to start looking at one of these solutions, how do you start mapping out the opportunities? There's a, a ton of benefits on the health system side. So, you know, when we talk about kind of rolling this out, you know, we try to identify what are some of those chronic diseases that I mentioned earlier that are going to have the most impact. If they're a customer of ours, we may have data around their patients already and we can say, you know, let's focus on diabetes or hypertension. When you're rolling it out, you know, we've got a team of clinicians uh, along with our partners at at Conversa Health that have built out the best practices and built out a lot of the conversation. But then we'll work with the, you know, clinical teams at the health systems to say, you know, let's go 
ahead and take a look at this and make sure it's reflective of what your brand is and how you, you know, your voice is in terms of speaking to those consumers. In my mind, we're probably 80% of the way there. And then the health systems, you know, help us get the last 20% in terms of the conversation. Just as importantly, if we start to talk about the health systems, what this system allows us to do is we're gathering a ton of patient generated data, whether it's from those devices or from people answering questions, because, you know, let's think about certain scenarios. You're on a medication and, you know, maybe it's, it's working or it's not. And, you know, a couple weeks later, you decide to go off it. How often does a patient then raise their hand and call the health system and say, hey, you know, I decided to stop taking my pills? They do on occasion, but more mm-hmm. times than not, they don't. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, if they're engaged in a weekly conversation with a chatbot and we check on, you know, are you still taking your metformin? And they say no, we can trigger an escalation over to the care team. So they know immediately, okay, this individual has stopped taking their medications. You know, they're taking you stop because of side effects or they can't afford it anymore. And so it gives the health systems an opportunity to really address the specific patients probably more likely in the low and rising risk types of patients than the complex cases, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. again, if you've got a chronic disease, you're probably working with your care team you know, on a regular basis. So t- the technology can really be an extender of your care team. So you're reaching a much broader audience. This is one of the sweet spots where you're basically intersecting digital experience with clinical care, which is something that, as you know, listening to our podcast, Reed and I talk about a lot. What is the makeup of a team that starts to initiate a project like this? There's a lot of interest. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of technologies, you know, similar to what we're providing uh, in the market. So we always get a lot of interest And our first meetings are a lot of times, you know, a, a broad array, everything from the chief medical officer to individuals and executives over the medical group. Um, marketing has a play. Anyone that owns a risk-based contract. So there's a lot of folks, you know, that are involved. I think ultimately, a lot of the clients where we, we are being successful with, we've got a, a champion. So, you know, I mentioned uh, Margaret Saban earlier. She, you know, she's a very progressive CEO, Dr. Uh, Widener at Carolina's Healthcare, Dr. Milani uh, at Oshner Healthcare. You know, these are folks that are really thinking about where is healthcare going. And Dr. Milani provided a quote at a, a recent presentation. And it said, you know, think about managing something where the patients are only coming in, let's say two to three times a year, right? So you're only really gathering data, let's say about Chris, the two or three times, you, you know, you come in to see the doctor, but you're trying to manage them on a daily basis. It's just not possible and feasible. So again, that's where you know, chatbots and our care chat technology is really being the bridge and gathering that data from those individuals on a, you know, weekly, if not, you know, multiple times per week basis. So you've got a broader picture than what's in a, in a typical EMR. And at the end of the day, clinical has a strong piece in that. But to your point, marketing loves that as well, because I've got a highly engaged patient and each conversation, which, you know, let's call it four five, six minutes in length. We always end on something positive for the patient or consumer. So whether it's an educational video or marketing can, you know, put information about their classes, their events, you know, any digital calls to action, kind of depending on the scenario and what's appropriate. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that organizations should look at before they initiate a solution like this? At the end of the day, there's a couple different options. You can go the sophisticated route. So we have the ability Mm -hmm. to integrate all the data that we've talked about thus far uh, through the FHIR standard into the EMR. So we've done this with Epic. We've done it with other EMRs where we can pass the data back and forth. We can even expose uh, the MyChart login within our chatbot. And if someone provides their authentication one Mm -hmm. time, we can pull all the data about that individual. And then their chat is smarter because what 
we know what they've been diagnosed with. We know what, you know, medications they're on, et cetera. So, you know, there's, there's that piece of it. And you're absolutely correct is that's a more complicated implementation. And some organizations want to go down that path and make sure that everything's tied together. Other organizations, we've done a, a much softer and quicker launch in 60 to 90 days. In that case, it's more at the clinic level. So I, I think the challenge when you're focused on the clinic level is, you know, this is a new technology and teaching practice managers and clinicians and others to kind of explain what it is and drive enrollment is key. What we've seen when we promote the chatbot digitally, kind of similar to you, you know, a CRM type of digital campaign, we see five to six percent. When a doctor or a practice manager actually introduces the chatbot care chats concept to a patient at the end of an appointment, we've seen registration rates as high as 70%. So, you know, they can either sign them up right then and there and say, wow. hey, I've got an iPad. Let me sign you up and just get three pieces of information and then you'll get a text in 24 hours and continue the conversation. Or here's a piece of paper and go ahead and, you know, sign up when you get home. What do you think the future is of, of chatbot technology in this space? In healthcare, I feel like, you know, we're starting to make some stronger strides and maybe catching up a little closer to other industries, but you need to put your best foot forward when you're putting something like Care Chats out. In terms of replacing all healthcare websites, you know, I, I don't think we're going to make that jump that quickly. I think what you're going to see is more integrated solutions that align with everything else that the health systems are doing. And chatbots is, is certainly one more channel that we can add to that. From what you're describing, it sounds like this could be a natural extension and even solve that challenging problem of making the patient portal a little bit more engaging if you think about it. I think that's the biggest challenge here is that we are having trouble putting a human face to people daily managing their care or being engaged with their care. And this is a great way in between doctor's office visits for you to stay engaged with patients. You had a hat on, right? You know, and, and I just had a doctor's appointment recently. I used the patient portal extensively for about 48 hours. And now I probably won't use that patient portal again for another six, eight months until I go, go to the doctor next time, right? So again, finding strategies in, in chatbots, I think is a great one where, you know, there's a way to reach Steve Leapforth, you know, over the next couple of months and find to make a way to make it fun and engaging, you know, is something that I, I think as an industry, we kind of struggle with. So, you know, the shift of value-based care makes that even more important, you know, in an acquisition type of scenario where it's purely, hey, I need more heads and beds. Uh, chatbots is, is fun and interesting, but in, in a value-driven care uh, society, we have to have that engagement to maintain loyalty to our health systems. And more importantly, you know, keep those individuals many times out of the, the, the hospital and, and avoid readmissions and, you know, things like that. So, you know, chatbots, I think, really can play a strong role in, in that type of marketing strategy. What about population health management? Where do you see the, the use case of this in pop health? This is where we kind of get the strongest reaction. So, you know, as health systems learn about what we're doing, um, more times than not, I'm talking to the VP of population health because, you know, this plays very strong with them. And I think what we've seen with health coaches and care teams that are reaching out is one health coach, let's say, can work with about 100, 120 individuals on a regular basis. With care chats, we've seen kind of a 3x uh, improvement. So they're able to reach, you know, 350. 50 or so individuals and it helps in a couple different ways so like i said it can be an extender to kind of manage the lower risk or rising risk and what we've seen is about 80 percent of the patients that participate are self-sufficient within the chatbot itself so they don't you know really need to reach out to a care team manager but where we've seen some efficiency benefit to the health systems on the population health side as well is 
let's say you know you're you I'm, I'm working with you chris and i've only got 30 minutes on the phone with you to talk about your health mm-hmm. if you and i haven't mm-hmm. talked in a month i'm probably going to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes saying how are you chris you know what's new how's your health are you still exercising right and kind of gathering all that sure. data and with the chat out we have all that data already for those that are participating so i can go in and spend three or four minutes ahead of time look at the dashboard and see what's kind of red yellow green and you know what are the, the areas i need to focus in on so you know maybe you're spending 25 out of the 30 minutes actually talking about having a productive conversation about your health because i know a lot more going into the conversation so you know the, the the care teams have really found huge benefits from that standpoint making their teams more effective Are there any other population health use cases? Obviously, from a a readmission standpoint, um, we've done some work with a hospital out in uh, California, and we did a side-by-side control group for those that were in care chats and those that were not. And we had zero readmissions from the care chats group. And within the control group, we had a couple of readmissions. So when we crunched the numbers, we were able to show a $3,400 savings per patient in the first 90 days for those that participated in care chats. So again, if you've got an at-risk contract, that's focused on readmissions, chatbots can play a huge role. And then the other scenario, I think, is obviously getting into the payer space and, you know, what the big boys are, are doing around star ratings like United and Blue Cross Blue Shield is, you know, chatbots, we can really focus in on, you know, some of those quality metrics to help improve the hospital star ratings, which help them in negotiations with their, uh, you know, insurances. If people listening in want to learn a little bit more about this, what's where would you direct them? What are some good resources? You know, I'm, I'm happy to have any additional conversations. You can reach out to me via email or Twitter. So Twitter is at Sleepforth, S-L-E-I-B-F-O-R-T-H. Or uh, just feel free to reach out to me at HealthGrades. So Steve.Leapforth uh, at HealthGrades.com. Thank you for your time and sharing all this great information. We really appreciate having you on. All right, so now we're coming to the end of our podcast, episode 43 on chatbots. And uh, it was a good conversation that we had, and we want to thank again Steve Leapforth for his thoughts and sharing some of his experiences. And uh, I don't know about you, Reed, but I'm convinced that robots will be the future of us, and we may want to start arming ourselves for the Terminator coming in the near future. Yeah, it sounds that way. Well, hey, before we wrap up, before we get into recommendations, uh, a couple things. Uh, thank you all who have gone out and uh, reviewed us and subscribed and all that kind of good stuff. Continue to recommend us to friends. We certainly appreciate that and appreciate the support. Uh, also, we are coming to the end of 2017, and uh, Chris and I are going to do a special episode. Uh, right towards the end of the year, and where we're going to give out the first annual Touchpoint Awards. Uh, some are a little tongue-in-cheek, some are more serious. But anyway, we're going to put together a, uh, a poll, and uh, we'll be kicking that out over the next few days. So so now we're getting to our recommendations, Reed. And as we're entering the holiday season, uh, I know a lot of our listeners are paying you know attention to these recommendations maybe we could so what are you going to recommend should we create our own gift guide maybe next year um all right so i'm i'm recommending uh in the spirit of the holiday season and it being just after thanksgiving as we sit here and record uh, i'm recommending a live christmas tree so you can go pre-lit in whatever shape and color you want maybe it twirls around and i've even seen some that like telescope in and out have you seen these yeah, I just saw those the other Good day. Gracious. Anyway, <laughs> hearkening back to olden times, I guess, uh, like we talked about earlier, I'm going with a live Christmas tree. So I'd recommend you go with a live Christmas tree. It smells nice. 
Uh, you don't have to store it all year, and uh, it's just hard to bait. That's awesome, Reed. You know, what's funny is yesterday we went out and bought ourselves a live Christmas tree. There you go. So we have one in our house, too. So I think you and I are both going very retro. Maybe it's a hipster of us to That's right. get a live Christmas tree. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're supporting somebody local, especially if you've got one of those places you can like go cut it down. Anyway, live Christmas tree. I'm also recommending one that's in the holiday season. It's an app that I use uh, every year. It's called Christmas List. Now, you may think oh. that why are you using an app to create a Christmas list? You can use Evernote or just notes on your iPhone or whatever to, to keep track of this. What's cool about Christmas List is it allows you to import people from your contacts. As you put your list together, you can indicate not only uh, how much you're going to spend on each person, which always quantifies you know, the, the commercialization of, of Christmas, but you can create ideas. You can... Uh, clip things from the internet, things you might nice. see, or even if you're in a store, you could take a picture of it and the UPC code so you can actually keep track of it in this in this app that you have and you carry it along with you. And as you're going through your Christmas shopping, wherever you go, you could start to you know keep track of that and it actually shows progress bar. It's pretty nice. handy. I actually use it all the time. It's a free app to use. It has a budgeting function so you can make sure wow. you don't go over budget when you spend. Yeah, so go check it out. Christmas list. Very good. Very good. Two uh, excellent Christmas-related recommendations. So, again, appreciate everybody. And I uh, would love to uh, love to hear from you and be looking forward to the uh, URL uh, to our end-of-year award poll. Check it out on Twitter and LinkedIn. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. 